morning. It's good to see you here. We're going to look this morning at how the truth that was sung about in that, that song we just heard can work its way into your life and make a real difference in the way you see yourself and the way you handle your relationships, the way you go about life in general. We're wrapping up a series today. We've been looking at identity theft. And we're learning how God wants to restore our identity to us, the one that he gave us when he made us that was lost uh, at a certain point in our history as a human race. And we've been looking at thieves that steal our identity, bitterness, excessive focus on outward image or outward things and looks, a distorted view of success that distorts our view of ourselves. And we've been looking at these things because... God really wants to help us deal with them. John 10.10 says, actually in in the verse prior, uh, Jesus said, you know, that thieves come to kill, to to kill. (laughs) They come to kill over, hopefully. Um, They come to kill, steal, and destroy. That's actually three hard words to say in a row. Um, but that's what they come to do. Jesus said, I have, but I have come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly, that you might have rich, full, meaningful life. He wants to help us deal with the, the thieves that want to rob our identity. Today, we're looking at shame. And shame is something that starts with guilt. Guilt, there's, here's a definition of guilt uh, from the dictionary, the American Heritage Dictionary. The fact of being responsible for the commission of offense, that's, that's what it, of an offense, that's what it means, that's a sort of a legal term. But if you're like me, you not only understand guilt in the legal sense, but you also in an emotional sense understand guilt, because when you commit an offense, your conscience kicks in and you feel guilty. Uh, when you do something wrong, you feel it. And at times I've, I've felt it and just felt slimed by the guilt that I feel. Um, shame is ramped up from guilt. Shame, here's a definition of shame from the dictionary. A painful emotion caused by a strong sense of guilt, embarrassment, unworthiness, or disgrace. It's interesting, this, this emotion, shame, entered into history at a certain point in time when the first man and woman rebelled against God. Scripture says that you know, God made the first man and woman, put them in place, and then allowed them <clears throat> the freedom to relate to him and to know him. And he set up some boundaries. They busted through the boundaries. And the result of their rebellion against God is they felt ashamed. This is when it entered into the, the human race. Now, God allows shame and guilt for a reason. God gave us this emotion to act like a light on the dashboard that tells you something's wrong inside. You know, you ever have, you ever have a light come on in your car? And uh, for, it's kind of like, ah, oh, you know, now I've got to stop and deal with this light. Earlier on, I've ignored a few lights and paid a heavy price because the thing locks up and won't go, especially if it's an oil light. It's important to pay attention to those warning signs. Well, that's what 
That's what guilt is and shame. God intends it to be a warning to us, to be a light that says, I've got to deal with something that's going on inside me. And, you, you try to, and he, he wants the guilt to lead us to him. He, he wants that to, to lead us to the point where we're ready to deal with it before him. Um, but many, many times the guilt and the embarrassment and the fear that comes from it, because fear is a part of this whole thing, you know, you, guilt and shame, and then you're afraid, and so you start covering it up. You're afraid that people won't accept you, and then you don't even want to think about God because you're not quite sure what he's going to do with this. So you just start covering up. That's what first man and woman did, if you read early in Genesis. One guy wrote, David Belgum, he wrote a book called Guilt, Where Psychology and Religion Meet. And this is a quote from him. He says, he estimates, I think this is probably a fair estimate, I don't know how you quantify this, but he estimates that 75% of the people in hospitals today with physical illnesses have sicknesses rooted in emotional problems. He writes, their physical symptoms and breakdowns are, for many, their involuntary confessions of guilt. I think that's right. God made us as fully integrated systems where our physical health and our emotional health, they're tied together. They're integrated. And so as we have guilt and we try to deal with it on our own without God, we start stuffing it and working it out in different ways, and it begins to affect the way we feel physically, and it affects our health in a tremendous way. Um, Let's look, first of all, at what brings on shame. I'm going to switch up the listening guide. I'm going to flip those points that are under what brings on shame. First of all, I'd like to look at some illegitimate sources of shame because what happens is we feel guilty and we natively begin to do some things that are actually counterproductive and we begin to experience more guilt and more shame from some illegitimate sources. Uh, These things bring on shame that really shouldn't be. We shouldn't experience. The first one is violating my own standards because what happens is we, we feel guilt and we react by imposing some outrageous standards on ourselves. So we feel guilt and we want to make up for it. So what we do is we, we decide, okay, this is what I've got to be. This is how I've got to do. This is, this is my cardboard set of behaviors that I'm going to trump up to make myself feel self feel better about the wrong I do and the wrong I've done. And we, we tend to think, I'm going to make up for it. And we set up standards that no human being could live up to. So what happens is you get in this cycle, you try to live these standards, and man, you're just more guilt, more shame. And you're just buried by it. Another source of... Uh, Shame, illegitimate sources, your background. Sometimes we get ashamed of where we grew up or our, our social standing, uh, whether we were poor or rich. Another source of shame is failure and defeat. <clears throat> you know, you, were, you had big plans. You were working them out. You've told everyone about your plans. Hey, this is what I plan to do. This is what I'm thinking I want to accomplish with my life. They fall to pieces, and then you've got to face the people around you. 
Another source, an illegitimate but very real source, is our enemy, the devil. Actually, the word devil means slanderer or accuser. In Revelation in the scripture, he's called the accuser. And what he does is he amplifies our feelings of guilt. He takes normal feelings of guilt and he, he amplifies them and he begins to feed us condemning thoughts. And if we cave into those things, it, it begins to destroy the right image of ourselves. He, that's his goal. He wants to destroy the image of God in us. In us. He wants to tear us down. Final illegitimate source is a hyperactive conscience. If you don't handle guilt correctly, you can get jittery in, in the way you handle things, your, your thoughts and your relationships. And you, and you live in what I'll call a sorry state. You're just sorry for everything. <laughs> You're almost sorry that you exist. And your conscience... You begin to feel guilty and, sh- and shameful about things you really shouldn't because your conscience has become hyperactive because you're, you haven't dealt with the real source. You haven't gone to the one who can help you with it. And so things just start amplifying and building and boy, you're in a bad, bad shape as you begin to deal with it. The key to dealing with these things is to get to the heart and to go to the real source which is unresolved guilt. And we're going to look at the only one who can help us with that. But that's the second. This This is where it all starts. Shame begins with unresolved guilt. And we all deal with guilt. Look at Romans 2, 14, 15. It says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature, do by nature things required by the law, they are law for themselves. Now what he's saying here, is Gentiles are everybody who wasn't born a Jew. That's what it is to be a Gentile. So most of us here are Gentiles. Um, God gave the law originally to the, the Israelites, to the nation of Israel. His goal in giving them the law was, as they lived it, the rest of the world could see how much wisdom there is in following God and be drawn to follow God as well. So he had a purpose in that. But what this is saying is whether or not you had the law that God gave, like the Ten Commandments is probably the the biggest summary of the law, whether or not you had it, you have in you this innate sense of right and wrong. And so when you do wrong, you feel guilt. And then he describes how we tend to deal with it. Since Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. You ever catch yourself doing that? Do something wrong? Yeah, that was horrible. Why did I do that? Yeah, but, you know, anybody would have done the same thing in the same situation. Oh, I really shouldn't have said that. But you know what? It's understandable. They ticked me off, so I let them have it. This is what we do. We go back and forth. Our thoughts accuse us, and they defend us, and we struggle with that. I'd like to show you a video clip of two guys on the open range. It's from the movie Open Range, two cowboys. And uh, they're, they're talking, and one of them is describing his sense of shame. And you begin to see a progression from guilt 
to shame in this conversation. Let's watch it. When I was a kid, a bunch of us would go into the woods with our pea shooters. Nothing fancy, just enough to kill a bird or a squirrel, maybe something large if we was lucky. Killed my first man in them woods. Held the paper on our farm, and after my pa died, he'd, he'd come around and get payment from my mama any way he could. Not much older than Button when I shot him in the throat. Knew there'd be more killing, so I run off and joined the army. War was on. They was only, they was only too happy to have me. My first skirmish was pretty much like hunting in them woods with my friends. We just sat up in some trees, and they came marching right at us. Must have been a hundred of them lying dead after the smoke cleared. Went around and shot the rest who weren't. Those of us with the knack was made into a special squad so we could travel light and on our own into enemy territory. Orders were pretty simple, make trouble wherever we could. With a room like that, it wasn't long before we was killing men who weren't even in uniform. It seemed like that went on the rest of the war. After that, I come west. What a call for a man with them skills. And I put him to work for men just like Baxter. Every once in a while, I almost get through a day without thinking about who I am, what I've done. See, what happens is guilt begins to shape your identity. And that's what was happening with this guy. Lewis Smeads said, The difference between guilt and shame is very clear in theory. We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilt because he did something wrong. A person feels shame because he is something wrong. God, God wants to free us from that. He really wants to set us free to live for him and enjoy the life that he gave us. But what happens is guilt morphs into shame if it's unresolved. Unresolved guilt is malignant in our system. Because what happens is we begin to get twisted up in thoughts that, that condemn and accuse. And we actually develop grooves in our mind from these thoughts. And grooves that show up in our actions as we try to handle the guilt that we know is there that nobody wants to admit or look at or bring out into the open because we're so embarrassed and ashamed that we really don't want to handle what is. Actually, after you come to Christ, you still struggle with this. And one of the thoughts is that comes to mind is, you know what? No one who's a real Christian would do that or think that. That's despicable. Those condemning thoughts. The enemy starts feeding you and helping you with your own. You don't really probably need that much help, but you get it. The reality is real Christians struggle. 
you come to Christ, you're, you're set free from your sin. Between that moment and the day you die, you begin to grow and change, and God wants to restore. Your identity in actuality is restored the day you come to Christ. But the rest of our years here on earth until we go to heaven and we are changed, we're trying to figure out how to understand that identity and live it out in our everyday lives. There is help from God in dealing with this malignancy. But what we tend to do if we try to handle the guilt ourselves is we become a pretender. We don't let others see who we really are. We don't want them to know the truth about us. Because they might reject us. We're afraid of rejection from them. And so we begin as we pretend to develop a distorted view of ourselves. We're not showing other people. And we're not even looking at really what's going on with us because we're afraid. And we're essentially we're hiding from God as well. That's what happened in, in the first part of Genesis when the first man and woman disobeyed. They began to hide from God. They didn't have to do that before. There was no sense of shame. To hide, and they began to run. But you especially hide from him. But here's what God wants to do. He wants to use this guilt to get to your heart. He, he wants to use the guilt that you're experiencing and that, that's normal and right. It's right to feel guilty when you do wrong. He wants to use that to get to you and to lead you to him. Now, I'd like to show you, God has done everything that needs to be done to deal with the shame. He, he has given us the help we need in dealing with this shame. He's the only one that can help with this. The only one who can give us the help we need. The truth is, you and I really are guilty. And we need his help. But listen to some passages from the Bible that describe what God has done. First of all, Psalm 103:12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 44:22, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. That's what it means when you forgive Real forgiveness is this. It doesn't mean, well, what it means is that you let go of the offense. And actually it means that you send it away. And that's what's being described in these passages here. God has, when you turn from going your own way and turn around to commit your life to him and accept what he's done for you in Jesus Christ, which he's paid the price for our sin, he sends away. He removes your sin. He wipes the stain clean from your heart. The word redeemed here in this this verse, redemption has the idea that you've been sold into slavery and you're, you're bought back from slavery. So what happens is we decide to go our own way and we're sold into this life. When we make that choice, every one of us did. The first man and woman did. Everyone after that did too. When, when you make that choice, you're sold into slavery. You're, these, these habits and thinking and patterns, you're, they're, they're deep grooves that we live by, and we're sold into slavery. God buys us back in the person of Jesus Christ. He pays for our guilt. And so we don't have to pay any longer. 
We just accept what he's done. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Jesus paid for our guilt, so we don't have to. We don't have to beat ourselves up any longer. Or listen to the words of condemnation from the enemy, who's more than glad to feed us those thoughts. Look at Hebrews 10. Hebrews is a verse that, or is a, a book that describes the connection between the Old Testament law, the Old Testament, and the New Testament since Jesus Christ came. This is a description in verses 16 and 17, Hebrews 10. It's a description of how it's going to be when Jesus comes and his people, people who accept him, Christians, the body of Christ, this is how it's going to be. This is my, the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. So when you have guilt and you experience shame and you begin to you just allow those things to keep welling up inside and play through in your mind, you're bringing things up and thinking about things that God has forgotten about if you've confessed and straightened it out with him. There is no need to do that. All of this is the truth, but now how do we make it real? How do we live that out in our everyday lives? Let's look at how to safeguard against shame. First thing we need to do is get a grasp of God's love. If you don't know God and his heart for you, then what you tend to do is you tend to run from him to hide. Now, he made us and he pursues a relationship with us, even though we've not lived his way. He, even though we are guilty, he has dealt with the guilt. Look at, look at Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, all the Christians, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Read Luke 15 sometime. Jesus told three stories that describe how even though we're lost to God and we've decided to go our own way, that separate us from him, from knowing him and having a relationship with him, even though we're lost to him, he pursues us to find us and to have a relationship with us. That's what God wants. In those stories, you sense the love of God. He's not given up. Even though we're guilty, even though we're ashamed, we are valuable to him. Our enemy uses shame as a weapon. But the enemy of shame is the grace of God. And that's what you find in this passage I read and in Luke 15. You understand the grace of God. We haven't earned his favor, but he loves us. Just like we are. He accepts us. Shame says, I'm flawed, so I'm unacceptable. Grace says, even though I'm flawed, I'm priceless. And you see, what God wants us to do is we get into a relationship with him. He wants to connect us to himself in a way that our identity is changed and it begins to be restored. And it shows up now in the way that we relate in the way that we go about living our lives. We experience that grace, and it works its way through our system. 
The next safeguard is, first, you're going to have to, I think, I, the reason they're in this order is because I think you're going to have to experience the love of God before you're ready to get honest with God. But whatever order it comes in, we can get desperate enough where we're ready to get honest with God. That's the second, that's the second point, the safeguard. This is what we do. God's done everything that needs to be done. We just have to respond to him. First of all, we get a grasp on his love. Second, we get honest with him. Here's Psalm 32 is a passage that David wrote, King David, greatest king in Israel's history, handpicked by God. And in, in this passage, what's happening is David has committed a couple of horrible sins. He committed adultery with a woman. And then he essentially arranged for the murder of her husband. And in this passage, Psalm 51 is another passage that deals with this. But he's describing his guilt and how he dealt with it honestly before God and the power of that. Uh, Verse 1 through 5 says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, in other words, when I didn't admit my guilt, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Sounds like that comment the guy made in the book where guilt, where religion and psychology meet. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was sapped, as in the heat of summer. Say law. Say law is a, a musical pause. So here comes something. Here comes the, the, a, a real main point. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He forgave. He removed it. He sent it away. And that's what God does. He's only waiting for us to confess and get real with him, be honest before him. Look at Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his sins, conceal means cover over or hide, does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. To renounce means that you let go of your hold on it. You know, you sin, you do wrong, and you're hanging on, you're stuffing it down, and you're not admitting, you're not letting anybody see it especially God, well, God won't yank that out of your hand. But when you let it go and say, God, this, is, I, this was wrong, this is the wrong thought, this is the wrong action, will you forgive me? He does. So it's crucial to get honest with God and stay honest with God if you want to be free. If you want your, your identity to begin to be restored. Look at 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Shame-based behavior causes us to try to fool others about what's really true. And so it really begins to erode our true identity. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to do that. This is what you can expect from God if you come clean before him. He will bring is cleansing. Let me let you in on a little secret. God already knows you're guilty. He is only waiting for you to admit your guilt before him. 
and see things from his point of view. That's what it means to confess your sin. To confess means to say it with, literally, to say it with, to agree that that was wrong. God, that was wrong. Will you forgive me? I have been wrong. I've been going my own direction, living my life independent of you. I now turn around to live life your way. That will you forgive me for my rebellion. And when you do, you are cleansed, forgiven. You are set free. And so it's important to get honest with God and then to stay honest with God. Third, put your trust in Christ. These first three points here on how to safeguard yourself against shame are actually core issues that you need to deal with if you're going to commit your life to Christ. If you're going to become a Christian, according to the Bible's definition, this is what it takes, these three things. You have to put your trust in Christ. You have to trust him, not, not yourself any longer. Romans 10, 9 through 11 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, he's the boss. He's, he's going to be in charge, the director of my life. If you believe, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. That's a legal term. It means you're, it's, you, it's been paid. It's just like you'd never sinned. It's, an, it's like an etch-a-sketch. You ever have an etch-a-sketch? You know, you draw on the little, with the little knobs. I, I liked them because I'm a horrible artist. And the problem is I'm, I'm, I'm not a very good artist, and I'm, I'm a perfectionist. So whenever I begin to draw things, I crumple up a lot of pieces of paper and throw them away. So the etch-a-sketch is great because you're never, you know, I was, I'm rarely satisfied. But then I can just start all over again. That's great. That's a great feeling. Well, that's what God does if you get honest with him. If you put your trust in him to pay for it rather than trying to pay for your guilt and shame yourself, then you get justified before him. It's just like you'd never sinned. You have, you have his righteousness that you can wear. You can clothe yourself in his righteousness. Verse 11 says, as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. God declares us guilty of sin. He doesn't discount our sin. But then he pays for our sin in Jesus Christ by sending his son to die for us. He is our judge and our redeemer. He, he buys us back when we've been sold into slavery to sin. That's what it means to commit your life to Christ. You put your trust in him. You, you confess that he is Lord. You are the God of the universe, Lord Jesus. I confess that. I'm going to follow you to the best of my ability. I'm going to turn around and go my own way and go your way. And I believe that you died and were raised from the dead on the third day. That's how you commit your life to Christ. You just tell God that you believe that and that you intend to live for him. You admit your sin and you intend to live for him. If you've already committed your life to Christ, then you need to keep relying on him, not your own effort, to pay for your guilt. Because it's easy to fall back into our old ways and to begin to handle our guilt like we always have. Cover it up. The embarrassment causes us to try to live by these outrageous standards. Actually, once you come to Christ, boy, the, the standards can really go wild. I mean, you can really get crazy with the standards. Now I'm going to be religious so I can pay for this. Oh, 
Right, that, that, that is no kind of life. See, Jesus came so that we could have real life and, and that we could live it before him and enjoy the life he gave us. So we have to keep relying on him. Because what we tend to do is beat ourselves up. Oh, no, I should, I'm a Christian now. I shouldn't have done that. And we, we beat ourselves up. And rather than that, God just wants us to confess, God, I've blown it again. Will you forgive me? And will you help me to live your way? Fourth, remain in the Lord. This is what you do after you've committed your life to Christ. This is how you safeguard against shame. The word in this passage is abide. That's what it means to remain. 1 John 2, 28 says, Now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Once you've committed your life to Christ, you've been connected to God in a relationship with him, you've got to continue to choose to abide. Because it's easy to disconnect from him. And when you disconnect from him, you go it on your own and... You know that isn't right, and you begin to lose confidence, and you, you deal with shame more and more as you go through. So stay connected to Christ in a relationship with him. The way we connect with him is we talk to him in prayer, and we get into the scriptures, get into the word, his word, and that, that God uses that to grow us and change us, and we stay connected by continuing to choose to connect to him. Finally, if you can't get rid of the shame or unwind the results of your guilt, confide in someone you can trust. I've had to do this a couple times with some things in my own life. If you're buried in shame, you're likely going to need someone to help you dig out. And James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Find somebody you can trust. And begin to talk through some things. I wouldn't go wide with this, and I'm sure you don't want to, and you probably wouldn't anyway. But if there's somebody you can really trust, there's healing in the confession to another person. Now, I've confessed a couple things to some close friends of mine that I've been struggling with. And these guys, they don't, they don't let me off the hook. They don't discount my sin, but they love me anyway. It's a picture of God. He's our judge and our redeemer. That's the kind of group that God wants us to be. He wants us to be a congregation where we deal with our shame before God, but we love each other and we cut each other slack for being human beings. And there's healing in that kind of environment where the truth is not ignored, but there's a tremendous amount of love that covers over a multitude of sins. And so if you're struggling and you just find yourself on on a cycle or on a wheel where you're spinning your wheels. You're trying to make progress. You can't sense any progress at all. Find somebody you can trust and talk it out. You'll get some help there, Lord willing. If they're wise, people who know the word, I get, get with people who know God, walk with him, understand how he relates to us and who he is, and you, you will find some help. Lord willing, if they can't help, they'll get you some people who can we, we would like to help. If, you, if you'd like to know what it means to commit your life to Christ, let us know on that card that we talked about earlier. Drop it in the offering. If you need some help, just some prayer, you can check on their pastoral staff only. And uh, we, we will pray with you. We will meet with you and help you work through that. We, we would love to help any way we can.
in dealing with this. God's done everything necessary. We just have to do our part in safeguarding ourselves against shame. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the truth that sets us free in your word. God, you are so good and so kind. And I am so glad that that's who you are and that's a part of your character. That you did not give up, but you continue to pursue us and love us so that we can have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you've done, dear God. I bless you and honor you now and ask for your help in dealing with the guilt and shame as it wells up in us, God. Set us free in you to be people, people that reflect your image that you made us to be, and to bring honor and glory to you. We ask for your help in this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.